I'm Danielle Houston. I'm the host of the podcast, The Checkup. I'm also a health and welfare advisor at Lockton Companies. And today I have another episode that we can file into the category of helping employees and helping each other through a time that we are all exploring and learning together. I'm going to title this episode, Navigating the Collide of Work and Home. I think it's super appropriate, all considering. My guest today is uh, near and dear to my heart. His name is Sean Bell. We go back a little ways. Back in the early 2000s, we were both at this pioneering startup company called Free and Clear. Our focus was tobacco cessation in this space of wellness that, you know, we knew there was a lot of important work that could be done with some really great health outcomes for people. And it's been fun to watch Sean's progression, I would call it, through a wellness industry of being first at a place where we only looked at tobacco cessation as this wellness. It was very siloed across the industry in the early 2000s. And, you know, going from that place then to another organization that looked at wellness, but really tailored to the individual to today being the chief operating officer at Aduro, where they're looking at well-being, the whole employee wellness. We have all figured out that wellness is not one size fits all. It can't be compartmentalized to just tobacco or just weight. There's so much more to us. And Sean and his company are doing just that. And he's going to talk with us today about how they're helping employers navigate and help the whole employee through this. So Sean, welcome. Thank you. It's good to see you and uh, congrats on your work at Lockton. It's been a while. If I recall, and correct me if I'm wrong, but if I recall, uh, we handed over to you launching our entire mid-market strategy for tobacco cessation. And you were like person number one at that job and, and really took it to a huge level of success. Thank you. Yeah. Yes. And wellness has always been near and dear to my heart, like very much like you, you know, when you work in this space that toggles with healthcare and you see the, some of the worst things that can happen with people when they don't take good care of themselves, it's really sparked something in me to help at a different stage. And, and I know that same thing is true for you because you've Since Free and Clear, you have gone in really to each organization that's very much in a startup, visionary kind of a role and trying to take a really compelling, needed idea and put legs on it and bring something to life. So what do you bring into life at Aduro? Well, it's a, you know, A, thank you. That's a very nice uh, way to work uh, describe what I do. I, I think at some level, um, I've been able to uh, take uh, joy out of essentially uh, standing on the shoulders of some amazingly smart people and, and teammates. And in many cases, what I sort of focus my personal efforts on is what I call trying to find the scale function to the value prop, really trying to think through like, okay, this is an amazing value proposition that you've put on the table. How do we get this to 
thousands to tens of thousands to hundreds of thousands and ultimately can we get it to millions and what would that look like and so for me um you know at aduro um aduro being the uh, company that really when i finished up uh, work i was doing at the last company i was at which was in the personalized medicine and genetic space sort of precision medicine space very exciting and interesting science i was really trying to think through you know okay what is the next opportunity? And as I started looking at what we learned at uh, my last company, Aravale, was that so much of people's health and well-being had a lot more to do with other things than their health and well-being. It had to do with their social relationships. It had to do with their financial stability. It had to do with a whole host of things that traditionally don't fall in or are siloed in other areas. Oh, you're having financial problems. You go talk to a financial planner, you're having a problem in your relationship with your spouse, you go talk to a mental health care provider. But when you're looking at people's elements of like what makes them healthy and well, and you're not considering those impacts in real time and using them as context to the problem you're trying to solve around health and well-being, you're missing the bigger picture. And what I saw at Aduro was an organization that was working with large employers across the country and had framed up the problem that ultimately, if you wanted to understand performance in the workplace, you had to actually look at someone's well-being and look at sort of six different interrelated aspects of life, thinking through things such as, you know, their personal views of contribution um, and de personal development, like where do they want to give and how do they want to give, mindset and resilience. How do we actually develop the tools and then be able to demonstrate resilience in a workplace, particularly when there's externalities? Uh, thinking through things like uh, your finances and prosperity. What does that look for you? And so Aduro has sort of mapped these, these elements out. And I was really intrigued with how would you take and build a scale function around that? Uh, they'd been incredibly successful at getting to a certain size. And, and I, I came in to partner with, uh, with that executive team to say, where do we go from here? And that's been the exciting journey we've been on for the past uh, a little over a year and a half. And who knew a year and a half ago that, you would be so timely and working with an organization that is doing these things that you're talking about as we step into a time period where has there ever been a time that we have so had it pushed in front of us that as people, as individuals who come to work every day and are trying to be well, most of us, that there are all of these elements coming together that we just can't quite ignore and silo anymore. No, exactly. I don't, I honestly, we were talking about this at work the other day, um, virtually of course, but uh, this question of, you know, you, you raised this interesting question, like have we ever seen this before? And we couldn't come up with a similar paradigm 1918 wasn't a great example because of, you know, uh, people were much more siloed in their work and home lives. Like uh, there was a huge distinct break between the two. Um, and uh, we just don't have that now. And so when you think about the overlay of, um, and post that was post-World War One, and people were just popping out into, um, into a new paradigm after having just survived a world war and having had horrific losses. And so it's not the same on a lot of levels, but the, the issue we're dealing with now, which is so, so compelling, is the interrelated nature of this crisis. You know, it's not just a physical health and safety and well-being question. It's a mental health and well-being. And it's a work resiliency and productivity question. And it's a financial strategy question. It's just a million things uh, all piling up simultaneously to solve for. Yeah. 
So this being the year where all of these things collide, the world tilted. I mean, at least that's the way it felt like to me, you know, everything moved and shook and it's not just been COVID. Uh, I'm, I'm going to get to a quote from an article that, that you wrote not too long ago that I think is really important for this conversation, but people have been under a tremendous amount of stress and strain this year. You know, if you're fortunate enough to be employed, uh, you still very well may be at home also teaching your kids right now. Um, Maybe you're unemployed and teaching your kids or your hours have been reduced, whatever, right? We're, We're seeing a number of, of scenarios. Yeah. So I think, you know, employers are all asking and trying to figure out what do we do? And I think our big question, and we talked about this in preparation, but as an employer, as leaders, and as individuals, we are all or should be all asking the question, are we working to adapt or are we waiting for normal to return? Um, what's, your, what's your answer to that, Sean? Well, okay. So I like the way you framed up the question about um, are we adapting or are we waiting for return to normal? We actually just did a, a leadership training um, within our organization around adaptive leadership. And it was actually getting to how do managers deal with scenarios that they haven't dealt with before. Um, Technical leadership or technical is when you actually know what you need to do and how to do it. And you're just executing and trying to execute effectively against that. Adaptive leadership is there's no road. You don't know which road to get on yet. And you have to go build the road and figure it out that's a different type of set of challenges on how you communicate, how you support and you grow. And we're clearly right now in an adaptive leadership scenario. Um, I don't believe there is any like, and I think I'm not, I'm clearly not the only one that believes it, that there's no return to normal coming up anytime soon for a couple of reasons. One is, uh, and we can get into the, the, you know, elements of this, but when you look at the exciting news that's hitting on vaccines and what we think is going to happen, we still have months, if not years, of, of work to be done before wide-scale use of vaccines is both used um, it's in, from a broad perspective in terms of getting people vaccinated, and then um, ensuring whether or not it's an annual concern or um, you know viruses change, and, and then we have to have the vaccines change accordingly. And so we don't know what our social and political and economic uh, livelihoods are going to continue to look like. What we do know is a lot of the challenges we've had will get better in some areas and worse than others. So I think leadership and businesses is gonna be in an adaptive mode for the foreseeable future. Uh, the most, uh, the, I guess I would say at a practical level, what this is translated to is that for most folks who are working right now, um, we have split, we have really bifurcated into two very distinct roles. You have people who, because of the nature of their work, mostly in the service sector, are still working outside their homes. It's uh, scary. It's objectively more dangerous for them, uh, a lot more stressful, and the uh, requirements being put on them are way, way higher. So you have a whole set of challenges on there. And then for the other folks who are have the um, 
and I say luck because depending on who you're talking to, they wouldn't necessarily agree it's luck, who'd be working at home, who are now trying to figure out that COVID has literally put the last spike into this idea that we had a work life and a home life. Like we used to talk about those things. I can say, oh yeah, you know, like the always on employee and all this other stuff. But, you know, there was still this perception. Literally we're in each other's bedrooms. We were in each other's living rooms. We're meeting each other's kids while you're trying to have a meeting. You're, you're dealing with the pet barking in the background. And we've all just kind of gotten used to this chaos as yes. like, that's the current way to do business. So trying to, leaders right now are trying to figure out two models. How do I support my people who have to go to work? Uh, and literally have to go out into the world to work. And what do they need? And then for the people who are at home, different sets of challenges uh, around how do I support these people and dealing with the fact that there's a complete dissolution in work life and home life. Or not dissolution, but a complete dissolution in the split between work life and home life. So I think it's interesting these, you know, when you talk about um, transitional leadership or, or, you know, management and training managers, essentially. Yep. That was an issue pre-COVID. I yep. would hear that really often from clients, what kinds of tools, what kinds of resources we really need to train our managers. They're great at this specific job task. They're great at getting the work done. They're not as great with people. And here we are in, in a space where uh, Julie Casper, who's a, a locked-in person, she and I did a podcast mm -hmm. a couple of weeks ago um, around a, a similar topic. But you know, we're asking, and we need managers to bring humanity to work, or you know, in this virtual space. But it's challenging to do that. What What's your advice to employers who are thinking about or struggling with how to teach their managers? Um, this art and science of working with people, being yeah. good people managers. Um, I'm curious, when you and Julie were talking about bringing this idea of bringing humanity back into the workplace, what did it mean to you two when you talk about, like, what did you mean by humanity? More kindness, more empathy, more, um, more uh, you know, thoughtfulness and, you know, engaging and touching. What did, how did you guys sort of think about it? A combination of all of those things, but truly, you know, when I think of bringing humanity into work, I think there are a lot of managers who are really concerned about crossing lines that seem personal. Yeah. It's one thing for me to say, hey, Sean, um, you did a great job with that project, or can I help you with something that's connected to that project? But it feels different, and I worry about, am I infringing on your personal space to say, Sean, how's your family? Mm -hmm. How are you managing with this thing? Um, how can I support you putting work aside? Yeah. And that's where I think, you know, we have, I think there's a, a great need for managers and, and people probably at all levels to be doing that, but it's a little, it feels tricky. So what do you, what do you think? Well, I got a lot of opinions on this. So I'm going to try to answer this. Go right. for it. I'm going to try to answer this um, succinctly, which if you talk to anybody who knows me, they will laugh at that because yeah. I'm the opposite go for of the times. So first and foremost is uh, managers in leadership and organizations frequently confuse culture and process. And so what they, what they have a tendency to do is focus on what I consider lower common denominator problems, like give me a tool, give me a process. 
I need a training for my managers on X. Uh, without really understanding whether or not the culture that they've built and the values that they're um, showing in the workplace actually align to make those tools effective or not. If you have a culture of an organization where it is verboten to talk about personal things whatsoever, um, and then you give people tools and you ask them to use those tools, everybody is going to find the situation awkward, uncomfortable, and after a very short period of time, they're going to just stop doing it. Um, because it's not something at all aligned, particularly if leadership isn't aligned with doing that. And so I think the first question to sort of bring to mind is, we talked about adaptive leadership and this idea of needing to change. Well, that applies to the organization as, it, as it's organized and set up in terms of what it emphasizes and focuses in on. And if they want, if an employer has determined that if, you know, if they think from a business risk perspective, this is how I sort of walk them through this. Your biggest big business risk right now is whether or not your employees are able to be productive and working in a meaningful way to drive your business forward. You're in a scenario right now with the economy and with challenges going on where nobody has the luxury for the most part of sitting around and keeping things status quo. It's the work is harder, customers have more needs and demands, uh, there's more challenges and externalities and having your employees feel that you have the resilience and the capability of supporting the business in the right way is your number one business risk. So let me ask you this, knowing that this is your number one business risk and you think about the tools your employees need to do that, what is the culture you've created around that? One is, have you been super clear with them about this idea of uh, having, where, having some grace about the challenges they're under? If you're trying to treat this as if everything's normal, you have your, you know, dealing with your, your work life and your home life separately, and then come to work and do your thing and deal with your home life separately, and you think that's going to play out well for you, well, you've created a cultural attribute of separation. See whether or not that works or not. First thing I try to work with people on is to be super clear about the culture they have and what problem they're trying to solve. Is it business? What is your business risk? And what is the culture that you have that you can align to? Once that's a little clearer, you can start getting down to these questions of what are the right tools. And to your point, a lot of managers have been really poorly trained on this idea of being empathetic. And what they have a tendency to worry about, particularly you know, human resources departments and legal departments, is a manager asking intrusive or, um, or inappropriate questions uh, for trying to get, get some perspective on things. Um, and what I try to guide people to is that you can absolutely train managers how to be empathetic managers, to be well-being coaches without overstepping boundaries and lines. Um, and it has to do with really trying to get to the cause of what's going on with an employee rather than just the symptoms, and then guiding them to the solutions the employer already has in place. The very first thing is, is working with your employees to train them around being empathetic. And let's differentiate the, let's split the difference um, and be super clear. Uh, if you're a Brene Brown fan, you've probably heard her describe this, this idea of uh, the difference between sympathy and empathy. I don't know if you've ever heard that, heard describe it before. I have not heard her describe it okay, and I would consider myself a fan, yeah. Okay, so she does a great job of describing this. And I use this example all the time. Um, sympathy is when someone's in a hole and you stick your head in the hole and you say, God, it looks like it sucks down in that hole. Can I get you a sandwich? Empathy is climbing down into the hole and sitting down next to the person and saying, 
I have been in holes before myself. I'm not in this particular hole at this moment in time, but you are. And all I want to do is let you know that I've been in this hole too at times and I've gotten out of it. And if I can help you get out of this hole, tell me how that looks like and we can do that together. I it's, love that. It's a pretty profound thing. Yes. You know, the idea being that I don't have to understand your specific world challenge, life challenge. I don't have to go solve it for you. All I need to do is just periodically give you some perspective that I'm listening to you. I'm looking at you and I understand that you're going through a hard time right now. Yeah. And that I've gone through hard times too. And yeah. so that is the first step is to actually help people understand and help managers just simply understand the definition of empathy and how it's practiced. And I think um, this would be a great place because I want, I really want to bring this quote from mm -hmm. one of your articles here. I think it's really powerful. You wrote a series and I know there's more to come. Folks can find it on LinkedIn mm -hmm. and, um, and maybe elsewhere if you want to share. But one of the articles um, is titled On the Intersection of Well-Being and Performance. And I'm going to read the quote so I get it right. When we're challenged by demands for social justice, as we fight to remain healthy in the face of a pandemic, and as we ponder how to navigate a battered world economy, none of us should be so short-sighted as to think our employees will successfully manage their personal health as well as their home and work lives without support. I mean, I read that sentence and it just brings afresh how much everyone is really struggling through. And then I think just nails it home and saying that like, there's just no way we can expect people to do this alone. Yeah. And, you know, this gets to this cultural question too, which is we, we many cultures have tried to create this idea of the wounded warrior um, this idea that, you know, we struggle through and we push through and we get through it all. And, you know, we do this by ourselves. Um, do you, you know the term pulling yourself up by your bootstraps? I hate that. I yeah. really do. <laughs> and you know why, you know what it actually originally means to do something that's impossible to do. You actually can never pull yourself up by your own bootstraps. You should literally, literally try it sometime. It's impossible. It's a false paradigm. We are all reliant on one another at periodic, at moments in time. Um, yes. And we have to understand that like we cycle through a need for empathy and support through our lives. And previously we tried to say, well, there's, that's something you deal with outside of work. But the reality is, is that now work is in my home. And I have to, I'm trying to navigate the fact that, that whatever arbitrary difference I tried to put like my drive home or going to the gym. I always had uh, my iPhone strapped to my side and I'm always looking at emails. And that was sort of that quote unquote always on thing. But now people are literally in my home. And yeah. so there's these things have gotten to the point now where trying to split these things up become arbitrary splitting of hairs. Um, and what's so ironic about this is if you think about the uh, relationship between an employer and an employee. So you did provide a really great example. It was a scenario in one of your articles that is an example of good interaction between yeah. a manager and an employee, someone who is struggling. And I thought 
it really did a nice job of giving some practical tools. How do you engage with someone when you're seeing a problem to your point that might not be all about the problem that you see? Would you share that example with folks that are watching or listening? Yeah. So, um, to provide some context to the example, it gets to this idea of this second set of tools, this idea of uh, symptoms versus causes. If I, as a manager, as I, as a leader in the organization have, have prioritized your performance at work as that's what's important to the business, to the organization is your ability to be effective in your job. Um, that's how I know like you're creating value for the organization. The organization is then trying to also figure out how to create value for you. And we talked about that's you know compensation, but it's also recognizing where you are in that moment of time and providing some level of empathy and support. And so when you see an employee who's not performing, the, the majority of managers have been trained to go after the symptom. Like, okay, this person isn't doing A, they're supposed to be doing A. I'm gonna tell them they need to do A and I'm gonna measure A. And if A doesn't get better, I'm gonna put them on a PIP. And after some period of time, I'm gonna move them out. They don't improve. But for, for Aduro's like approach and thinking on how we work with our clients is to ask the question is like, why is A happening? And a lot of times people don't go that far down and particularly they get caught up in what I would consider to be, um, they're, they're seeing certain you know tactical or transactional things and they're thinking that's the cause. So the example I gave is, was a pretty simple one, but it, it crystallized the issue. You can imagine I'm having a conversation with one of my folks and I say to them, Hey, I just got some feedback from some other members of the team that you were really um, kind of nasty on the phone. Like you were uh, sort of attacking people's perspectives. You were not really providing much feedback and people felt like you weren't really working to solve the problem. You were more just like kind of being a jerk over the, on the, on the call, on the zoom with them. So what's going on with that? And that person might say, maybe they're going to be a little vulnerable and they're going to say, Hey, I'm, I'm sorry. I've actually had a really tough day today you know, um, I'm trying, I got a first grader at home and their school uh, provided laptop, which we all, if this is not too far off a theoretical, <laughs> their school provided laptops not working right now and they're not in class. And I'm, I've been having a really hard time. Well, what the manager would normally say, is say, oh yeah, hey, I hear that. I hear you're having a challenge. I hope you work through that. Good luck on that. But in the meantime though, like, don't let this happen again. Like call your people up and, and, and apologize and, and just, you know, do a better job. That's how the majority of the things conversation. Oh yeah. Geez. Sucks to be you. That's the sympathy thing. God, right. I'm glad I'm not in your shoe. Even worse. You might say like, well, at least the Wi-Fi didn't go down for you um, or something like that to try to make a joke and make light of it because you don't really have a solution to the problem. And frankly, it's not a work problem. So as a manager, why am I going to worry about it? Like that's how a lot of people would engage right. and you eat a lot. And so instead what we provide is a model that would go as follows. Hey, I've no, I just got feedback uh, from your teammates that uh, you're a real jerk on the phone and you were really nasty and you were attacking them and not really problem solving what's going on. And that person says, well, I'm having a really rough day right now. Uh, you know, my kid's school computer's not working. Well, at that moment in time, that's when a good manager would pause. And rather than going to the solution might say, wow, I've had challenges like that too. Like, you know, luckily my kids are older, but man, I actually really struggled the other day. Uh, we were trying to, the heat went out in the house and I was trying to have a vendor here while I was on a phone with a client. Really was awful. Um, how's it going now? Is it, did it get better? Did you fix the situation? 
Oh, okay. So you, it sounds like you still have got some work to do on that. Well, I'm really, really, it sounds like it's really tough. What I can suggest to you, and that person then would say, you know, like, hey, I'm really sorry. I don't want work-life balance. It's like, hey, you can always call your folks and apologize, but let's get to the underlying issue. How are you dealing with this? This, this work-life thing you're dealing with right now, this work-home life isn't going away. Your first grader is going to have a problem with their laptop again tomorrow or the day after. So how are you dealing with this? I'd just be interested to hear, like, how are you going to balance this stuff? And you get into a dialogue and a level of engagement just to have a conversation. I can't solve, I can't go fix this person's lap, this kid's laptop. That's not what I'm trying to do. But I am trying to create a sense of connection over a common problem or a common challenge, I should say. And a sense of like, how can I help you work through the feelings it's creating for you? Maybe that's giving you a little bit of grace in this scenario. Maybe it's suggesting that you find some work-life balance in a different way. Um, it sounds like this is a real problem for you. And when does your kid start school? 9 a.m. Okay, maybe what we could do is shift that team meeting to 10. So the 9 a.m. like issue like wouldn't be as much of a challenge for you if you had to go fix the problem. Would that work for you? So you try to create some openings and some grace for people only to allow them to understand that they're good people. The vast majority of our employees are trying to do the right thing. They're under extraordinary stress right now. Empath being empathetic to that and, and providing some level of connection as humans allows good managers to find the path forward for employees and give them um, at least a pressure valve, which in most cases is what a lot of people need. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's trying to find reasonable alternatives, but you're at so right on this thing about um, trying to ask questions that are not yes or no questions. You know, if I start every, every one of my one-on-one -on -one meetings, like I literally just got off a one-on-one -on -one with one of my employees. If she listens to this, she'll, she'll laugh. Um, and I said, how are you doing? She's like, fine. I'm like, okay, but how's it going? Like what's working well for you this week and what's not working well for you. And she said, well, honestly, right now I'm struggling because I just figured out um, my well is dry. And I was like, tell me more. And she's like, she lives out in Cleelum and she, they have a well and uh, that's how they get water in the house. A and literal well. Okay. Well, so I was, <laughs> yeah, you were thinking spiritual. No, her literal, was, well, yeah. her literal well is dry. So she doesn't have much water coming into the house right now. So just think about the stress that's putting on yourself, you know, like can't take a shower, can't do laundry. Um, and her spouse travels. And so um, she's working through this by herself right now and trying to figure out a solution. Um, we spent a few minutes talking about that. We laughed about some things. We talked about it. Um, I can't go drill a well. It's not in my skill set. Can't solve that for her. Um, and that she wasn't looking for me to solve the problem, but just giving a chance to ask a few questions and get out of it. And you're absolutely right. Some of the most basic things, everyone has a tendency to be like, oh, we need this fancy structure. We need these fancy tools. Some of it is just basic empathy and asking questions, um, and one of the, I want to add a little caveat to this. We work, Adura works with all sorts of employers and we work with all sorts of employees. And we have lots of employees who are on a neurodiverse and don't necessarily always um, demonstrate empathy. That's not an easy thing for people to do all the time. Um, they're not always comfortable with it or they don't think that way. That's okay. It doesn't always have to be the person who is your direct manager. And as a manager, if I knew that that wasn't in my wheelhouse as a skill, um, that's okay too. I need to then make sure my employees have a network of people that they can connect with. 
that's sort of the third tool here is the ability to create a informal network. We call them fire starters, people in the org who actually have demonstrated capabilities. And for us, fire starters are people who are self-starters and are really can provide additional value around resilience and well-being um, in a way where I don't always have to be front and center. Sometimes the best leadership is being on the periphery and moving other people to the center. That's sometimes the best way to demonstrate good leadership. So I don't always think about it as like, oh, you know, every one of our managers needs to be great empathy leader and understand this. And, and they've all read Brene Brown and they're, they're great at this. No, that's okay. But as a manager, recognizing where you're strong and where you're weak and covering for your weaknesses is a good thing. And Sean, I love the, the concept of a fire starter. Yeah. I just, I think it's a, it's a beautiful element to one of the steps that we're talking about in the toolbox. Yeah. Can we, can we all be a fire starter? You know, that's a really good question. Um, and here's how, it, here's how I think about it. Um, each of us at an employer brings something to the game. Otherwise, I would assume we wouldn't be there um, or we wouldn't be staying there. Um, we have a tendency uh, in management and leadership to try to put um, leaders in boxes, like this is what defines a leader and this is what defines a leader. What we're learning through this process right now in real time is that that which was not necessarily an organization or a personal strength in the old paradigm is now actually a huge organizational uh, value or a personal value now. And let me give a super specific example about this. Um, if you were a highly anxious person in your life as a young person or as you grew up um, and you developed a toolkit to deal with your anxieties. You literally, maybe you worked with a therapist, maybe you uh, developed your own personal tools so you can manage through anxiety. If you were not somebody who had to deal with that and then you got thrust into a scenario of what's going on in the world now, you got no tools. You don't know what to do. And right. most people, this puts them in a full fight or flight mode. Whereas people who were quote unquote weak because they were so anxious and they were so worried all the time and it spent all this time developing an understanding of like, this is how anxiety feels. This is how prolonged anxiety feels. I know this feeling, I've dealt with it before. They're the ones now who actually have the best skills for dealing with a lot of the challenges. So I look at organizations and I say, every organization has a capability of finding people who can be fire starters to solve specific problems at specific times and to bring that to life. And for me, the whole idea of what some of the best data science is doing right now is actually finding ways to identify fire starters in your org, because it's very rarely aligned with a traditional org chart. And instead, find people in your org who are lighting up in different areas for different reasons and feeding those people, taking those little embers and growing them up in a way that allows that person to contribute in a meaningful way. Um, you know, and I'll give like one example of something that has been so powerful is We've been doing, you know, we provide um, outside of all the data um, platform and, you know, the well metrics, biometrics business, we, we do a lot of our, one of our sort of key, in fact, our key focus is health coaching and our ability to coach people through these six interrelated um, aspects of life. And we've been doing a lot of uh, tests with small group coaching rather than just one-to-one -one or big webinars, but small groups. And we've been able to do some super niche tests like um, parenting through COVID or uh, how as a manager to keep your own resilience going while you're dealing with your employees, you know, mental health strains right now. Like that's pretty draining. 
So how do you, how do you keep refilling your own? We'll go back and now say, fill, refill your own figurative well. And, um, and what we've been so fascinated by is these things have, these small group sessions have resonated so well in organizations. So that parenting example I gave you, two or three parents on that call at one of our clients self-identified on the call that they were parents with kids with special needs. And that going through the education process with them right now was so hard. And those three coaches are now working, or excuse me, those three um, employees are now regularly supporting and checking in with each other. They were in totally different parts of the country, never even knew each other. It's a very large employer, but they found each other through this coaching session and are now acting as little fire starters for each other. And, and for me, and on a very specific topic, how do you advocate for your child in COVID when everyone is stuck at home and they have special needs around their education. It is really hard. And so that for me was like such a compelling example of finding fire starters that wouldn't be your traditional like, oh, you know, we want you to take more steps. So our fire starter will be the, the woman who does, uh, who's a semi-professional triathlete, you know, or, right. you know, like that's not always like, I, you know, we don't necessarily need the triathletes at front and center at this moment in time. We need people who've struggled through some challenges before and can bring that to the table. And so for me, um, those are those examples of like, sure, can you find fire starters? Absolutely. Just, you know, like be open to finding fire starters in niche areas because they, each, each group can create these little micro communities. I think those are really great examples for employers to consider. If there is an employer who is listening to this who maybe hasn't taken action or they have been and you know they're just concerned that maybe they're not getting the same kind of traction or interaction with people that they really want and need how can adoro engage with them you know what what is it like for an employer who reaches out to your team yeah uh so first and foremost, in many cases, what they've done is they've come to us via uh, a, a consultant relationship like Lockton, because in many cases, you know, we're not consultants, you know, we're a service provider. Of course, we, you know, we give all sorts of advice and consulting experience, but in many cases, the first and foremost is to really have someone help them define what problem they're trying to solve organizationally. And that's where our relationships and partners with our partnerships with our broker consultants really play, play strongly. Um, in that because they've, they'll have they come to us and saying, okay, we've defined the challenge we're trying to solve for. It, it's while small to medium-sized client um, employers might come to us and maybe not have engaged in that process. In most cases, our larger, our larger clients have. So they'll come to us and in most cases, they'll come to us and they say, oh, we're trying to replace a well-being program uh, or we're, we're trying to launch. Most cases, it's either a replace or a launch. Most people have tried something these days. And we start with just a few key questions. I'm like, okay, well, what have you done before? And most of the time it's like, well, we provide an incentive of X hundred dollars if you do this health risk assessment and uh, you've completed the health risk assessment and you get a biometric uh, review and um, you know, A and B. And it's like, okay, so how would, you, uh, how would you sort of review that? And they're like, well, I had a poor ROI. Get that all the time. Well, tell me more about that. Well, I don't know how to tie it to healthcare claims. And I'm like, well, good luck. If you can tie it to a healthcare claims, mazel tov. I've not seen anybody, you know, the way we price healthcare in this country and the way we manage healthcare risk, not at all aligned. So I don't think you'll ever get there. 
but let's totally see. different episode, Sean. Exactly. Um, I could go off on that, but I won't. Um, it's okay. But the issue for me then is to say, like, what are you trying to measure? And in most cases, what most employers are trying to do is they're trying to figure out how do I get my employees to engage in a program that's going to have a meaningful outcome that would be meaningful to the company and meaningful to them. And that's where we engage in these discussions on how do you measure the, the effects of preventive and well-being, preventive care and well-being, mental health and the resilience on that, on these people's productivity and engagement at work. And we can measure that in some really exciting ways. We have partnered with an organization um, with a program based out of uh, Harvard's T.H. Uh, Chan School of Public Health for their flourishing index. And the flourishing index is a 12 question um, in a survey that we can do two or three times a year with our employers that actually measures whether or not employees are flourishing or struggling. And it's 12 questions that gets to the heart of your physical, mental, and uh, behavioral well-being. Um, and it allows us to pretty quickly map to is the organization moving towards, or are the employees moving towards a, a state of flourishing or are they moving towards a state of struggling? And there is, I believe, I'm not gonna have the statistic exactly right. If you're struggling on the flourishing index, we've also then cor correlated that data to the GAD7, which manages, uh, measures anxiety and the um, PHQ9, which manages, ma measures depression. And you're two to three times more likely to be in a state of moderate to serious depression and moderate to serious anxiety if you are a struggler on the flourishing index versus a flourisher on the flourishing index. So we've created some different ways to actually crack open that nut and really understand like what is the problem we're trying to solve. And then, as I said, we've really tried to interlay the idea of um, biological, behavioral and psychological well-being as a continuum that these six, six interrelated uh, aspects of life lay over. And by looking at that, we can create a model by which by working with those six, those six aspects of life, we can help move people away from being strugglers to flourishers to see improvements in their biological um, outcomes at the same time. Because they're all, as it happens, fairly well correlated. I, I am sure. Um, locked in also, we have a proven system of interviews and surveys as well, that we can help an employer identify to what are those, the real needs that they have as an organizational team. And then, you know, how do we, what are the steps that we take to help meet those needs, meet those business requirements and really be a, a partner to solve some business problems. And, you know, and this year, back to your earlier point, our biggest risk this year is our people, right? How do we how do we help them? How do we keep people healthy and um, and moving and looking ahead? If someone wants to connect with Aduro, if they want to connect with you directly, um, is LinkedIn a good place to yeah, do LinkedIn that? I, I use LinkedIn extensively. Um, anyone's welcome to email me um, via or connect with me on LinkedIn and always happy to engage in a discussion and answer any questions, you know, informally about these challenges. Uh, it's this, we're going to be going through a long period of time of change. As I said, this is going to be a, a change of a, a period of a lot of adaptive leadership. So I always tell people, I'm not sure what the road ahead is going to look like exactly, but we have some signposts that we've seen with other clients and I'm happy to share those with you and see if it points you in the right direction. Yeah. 
and we can do it together. There's no bootstraps. There's no, don't need to be. no one's pulling themselves up by their bootstraps. No, nope, no, nope. this rugged individualism will kill us all. So let's, uh, let's get in the boat together and, and right. start, start rowing. Yeah. I have, Sean, I have always appreciated your, I would call it wicked smarts and your genuine passion for helping people be well. So thank you for bringing that to us today. I would really encourage folks to look you up on LinkedIn and read the articles and look at the tools that Aduro is making available because there's some great meat in there to share. So with that, that, yeah, uh, you're always welcome back. Um, Thank you for dialing in with us today. Thanks for listening to this episode. You can connect with Sean or myself. You can follow us on YouTube. You can follow on Apple Podcasts. Until next time, take good care. 